Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special Christmas message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. From Max Lucado, as he looks into the scene of the baby resting in the manger. And he writes, rest well, tiny hands. For though you belong to a king, you will touch no stain, own no gold. You will grasp no pen, guide no brush. No, your tiny hands are reserved for works more precious. To touch a leper's open wounds to wipe a widow's weary tears, to open the eyes of the blind, to make straight the lame, to claw the ground of Gethsemane. Your hands, so tiny, so tender, so white, clutched tonight in an infant's fist. They aren't destined to hold a scepter nor wave from a palace balcony. They are reserved instead for a Roman spike that will staple them to the Roman cross. Sleep deeply, tiny eyes. Sleep while you can. For soon the blurriness will clear and you will see the mess we've made of this world. You will see our nakedness, for we cannot hide. You will see our selfishness, for we cannot give. You will see our pain, for we cannot heal. Oh, eyes that will see hell's darkest pit and witness her ugly prince sleep. Please sleep. Sleep while you can. Lay still, tiny mouth. Lay still, mouth from which eternity will speak. Tiny tongue that will soon summon the dead, that will define grace, that will silence our foolishness. Rosebud lips upon which ride a star-born kiss of forgiveness to those who believe you, and of death to those who deny you, lay still. And tiny feet cupped in the palm of my hand, rest. For many difficult steps lie ahead for you. Rest, tiny feet. Rest today, so that tomorrow you might walk with power. Rest, for millions will follow in your steps. Isn't that beautiful? The babe born in Bethlehem, came to die. I've been doing a series on knowing the Christ of Christmas, and I've titled this sermon, The Child is Born. Matthew chapter 2, saints will pick up in verse 1, and we'll read right through to verse 12, and then we'll come back. We'll have some comments. Matthew chapter 2, if you're looking at verse 1, say amen. Amen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, this is the Christmas story, or part of it, in Judea. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men 
from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Oh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet Micah, chapter 2, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child. Notice young child. And when you have found him, bring him back, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, what they do, saints, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house where they saw the young child with his mother Mary, what they do? They fell down and worshipped him. What they do? They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. You know the Christmas story. It's found here in Matthew chapter 2. But it's also found in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And so you put the stories together. If you were with us last night, we talked about the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 tells us that Jesus was born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, and a heavenly host of angels appeared and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And then Jesus received a visit from the shepherds, you know that, and they went back to their fields glorifying and praising God for everything that they had seen and heard. Well, eight days later, Jesus was circumcised and then presented in the temple. Verse 1 here in chapter 2 of Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, let me tell you a little bit. Are you listening? Let me tell you a little bit about Herod the king. Herod is an interesting little fella. Um, I say interesting little fella because he is a little fella. He is about, history tells us, actually, uh, Flavius Josephus tells us that Herod was about four feet, four inches tall. Whenever I think of Herod, I always think of Danny DeVito. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I think they should do a movie, seriously. I think I'm on to something. They should do a movie and cast um, Herod, the part, uh, to Herod, to Danny DeVito. I, I, I'm telling you, this is a blockbuster hit. I need to get my cut, too, if anybody take that idea to Hollyweird. And, um, but, but, yeah, so, but I always think of Danny DeVito, just kind of a short guy, and he was called Herod the Great, you know that, and the reason they called him Herod the Great was not because he was a great man, but because he was a great builder. 
And he built palaces and he built fortresses. And if you've been to Israel with us, you know he built Masada. Masada is this huge, massive fortress, 450 feet above sea level. Masada was the last outpost of Jewish zealots during the Jewish revolt against Rome. Some scholars say that Herod, get this, invented cement. That he invented cement because he was the first to use it to build Caesarea by the sea. Now, when you read your Bibles, when they asked Jesus, who do men say that I am? Um, they said that they were in the area north of Jerusalem, in the area called Caesarea uh, Philippi. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is different than Caesarea by the sea. Caesarea by the sea uh, has these huge aqueducts that uh, Herod built, which brought water into, of course, the city of Jerusalem and most of Israel, actually. Herod was quite the builder. Uh, many of the buildings that Herod built are still standing today in Israel. Uh, he remodeled the temple in Jerusalem, and so they called him Herod the Great. But Herod the Great was also not only a great builder, but he was also a very vicious and a very cruel man. Uh, Herod was so cruel that Caesar Augustus made the comment that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Uh, one night he got mad at his wife and he murdered her. And uh, man, that must have been some kind of argument. And uh, but he murdered her. And then um, his mother-in-law disagreed with him murdering her daughter, of course. And he killed his mother-in-law. And then his two sons disagreed with that. And you guessed it, he murdered them as well. And the next morning, he felt bad about it, so he built this huge tower dedicated to their memory. Uh, when he was in his 70s, he knew that he was dying and that when he died, no one would mourn for his death because nobody really liked him. So, um, and many would be glad to see him go. And so he ordered that 100 leaders in Jerusalem be killed upon his death thinking that if the city won't mourn for me, then let them mourn for those who died. And so they gathered the leaders together, and of course, when Herod died, uh, they let those leaders go free. So it was in the days of Herod, the Bible tells us, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know your Bibles, don't you? Bethlehem was a very notable city in the scriptures. Uh, if you take your notes, Bethlehem comes from two words, Bethlehem. Beth means house, and lehem, bread, house of bread. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Uh, anybody know what city David was from? Just call out right where you are. Anybody know what city David was from? Yeah, I just gave you the answer. Bethlehem. <laughs> come on, people, come on. Bethlehem. Um, <laughs> David was crowned king of Israel in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the place where Boaz was gleaning in the field and Ruth saw him and came into the field and eventually Ruth marries Boaz and becomes the grandparents of anybody know? King David. Very good. Again, Bethlehem meaning house of bread. Don't you find it interesting that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? And then about 30 plus years later, he would then stand and say, I am the bread of life. Really interesting. And so if you were with us last night, I told you that the shepherds came to Jesus that night, as well as wise men came to Jesus from the east. The wise men are asking the question, 
where is the king of the Jews? Go ahead and look at your Bibles in verse 2. These wise men are asking the question, where is the king of the Jews? Now, the title wise men is the word magi. Magi. These wise men were astrologers. They were astronomers, which means that they studied the stars. In those days, they studied the stars without a telescope. Magi were generally very political and very powerful men who came from the east, Babylon, and Persia. So they were out studying the stars, and they see a sign, and they go to Jerusalem, and they ask, where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? Now listen close here. Something very interesting. Listen. They say, where is he born the king of the Jews? This is the first question asked in the New Testament. Just fact. The first question asked in the New Testament is, where is he born, the king of the Jews? Where is Jesus? Uh, The first question asked in the Old Testament was asked by God. Remember when Adam was hiding from God because of the sin of him and Eve sinning, and he was hiding from God, and God asked the first question in the Old Testament when God said, Adam, where are you? Uh, He didn't ask Adam, where are you, because he didn't know where Adam was, because God knows everything. He knew where Adam was, but he asked Adam, where are you, because he wanted Adam to know where Adam was. Uh, Did you get that? He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. Like, you know, sometimes God wants you to look at yourself. Somebody say amen. God wants you to look at you. Where are you? He knows where you are. You're not hiding anything from him. So the first question in the Old Testament is, Adam, where are you? And the first question in the New Testament is, where is the king of the Jews? So I see it as, where is the king of the Jews, is, is, which the answer is Jesus, is actually answering the sin problem of the question asked in the Old Testament. Because God asked that question in relationship or in regard to their sin. Where are you? And the Magi say, Jesus, the king of the Jews. The answer to the sin problem is the king of the Jews. The answer to the sin problem is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Well, notice in verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled because when Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if Herod had a bad hair day, you had a bad head day. Somebody say amen. You know what I'm talking about. Verse 4, Herod gathered all the chief priests. Look at verse 4 in your Bibles. Herod gathered all the chief priests together and asked, where was Jesus? And they didn't break a sweat. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. And then they quote Micah chapter 2 to tell the king this is how they know that he's in Bethlehem of Judea. Because they know what the Bible says. He will be born in Bethlehem. Listen, Herod didn't trust the priest. And so he told them to leave. And he calls the wise men. He asks, how long ago did they see the star appear? Why? Because he wants to know how old the child is, so he can kill the children. Notice he says, go and search for the child, not the baby. Did you get that? Go search for the child. And when you have found him, let me know so I can come worship him 
also. So not only is Herod a murderer, but he's a lying murderer because he didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to find Jesus so that he could kill Jesus because there was a new king in town. There's a new king in town. I need to kill him. Notice in verse 9 in your Bibles, they leave the king and, 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 and the star. They leave and the king and the star leads them and stops right over the house where Jesus was. Notice where the child was, not a baby. Are you looking at verse 9? Notice till it came and stood over where the young, somebody say it, child was. You see that? By this time, Jesus isn't a baby born in Bethlehem. Do you realize that Matthew chapter 2, Jesus isn't a baby at this point. He's a child, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years old. He's now a child in the house, not in the manger. So the wise men don't come to the manger. They come to the house. Now, I realize, listen, this messes up your whole Christmas because you're, you're thinking, man, you're messing me up. I mean, I even got a Christmas card. And the wise men were going to the manger. And I looked at the Christmas card and I thought, this is heresy. <laughs> Burn a heresy. Because, you know, some of, your, some of your front lawn is is full of heresy. Do you realize that? You got three lighted wise men that you got at Walmart on the front yard in front of the manger. That's not biblical. Go home. And unplug your unbiblical heresy. Stop it. Unplug it. Take it back to Walmart with the receipt. It's unbiblical. You don't need a receipt. Just take it back. <laughs> you work there? Do you really? You used to work. You don't need a receipt. You don't need a receipt. Why did it give me so much problem? So notice in verse 11 in your Bibles, when they came into the house, I want you to look at verse 11, please. When they came into the house with Mary, notice they fell down and worshiped him and they offered him what they offer him, saints, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, again, we're all victims of Christmas card and Christmas music theology. Christmas card theology is you, you have your understanding of God and the Christmas story from Christmas cards and Christmas music. You know, for example, we come to understand that the three wise men, that there were three wise men based on Christmas music. Uh, we, you know, we, we sing the song, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel so far, field and fountain, more mountain, following yonder star. We three kings, we think it's really three kings. And it's the reason why we think there were three kings, because they bought three gifts. They bought gold, they bought frankincense, and they bought myrrh. But we don't know that there were three kings. The Bible doesn't tell us that there were three kings. The Bible says they were the kings, the wise men. And, 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 and they, and they could, have, could have been three, could have been 300, could have been 3,000, could, could have been 15. We, we don't know. But you should take note that the wise men came and they stirred up all of Jerusalem. Did you get that? I get the impression there was a lot of them. I know that. So there's this huge entourage that pulls into town, and the camels and the guards, and they pull into Mary and Joseph's driveway. And Mary says, Joe, uh, are you expecting guests, honey? And they come into the house, and they fall down at Jesus' feet, and they worship him. Did you get that scene in your mind? They fell down at the feet of a two-year-old. And they opened the gifts. 
I never saw that in a Christmas story. Not in all these years I've been preaching. They opened the gifts and they gave it to him. They opened the gold and handed it to him. You know, like what we do is we give you a gift and we say, now open it. Go ahead, open it right now. Open it right now. I can't wait for you to open it. I just did it between services. Somebody I gave him a gift. And I said, you got to open it right now. Right now? Yeah, right now. Just open it. I'm standing right here. Open it. That's kind of awkward, though, because if you don't like it, what do you say? You know what I mean? Take it out of the box and you go, oh, that's interesting. Or you go, oh, this is so nice. What is it? But notice the Bible says they opened the gifts and then they gave these very costly gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus. Now, I think the big question for all of us is, why do we need a savior? Okay, Rodney, I got you. A savior is born. The savior came into the world. But why? I want to answer that question for you this morning. Why we need a savior? If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. And if not, I have it for you on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. Why do we need a Savior? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. In Ephesians, Paul writes, he says, And you, matter of fact, it's on the screen. Can you read it with me? And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Why do we need a savior? Listen, you got a pen? Write this down. Number one, because according to Ephesians chapter two, we are all sick unto death with sin. Oh, you can say amen right there because that's true. We're all sick unto death with sin. Now listen, if you ask most people why we need a savior, they would say sin makes us guilty before God and, and brings us under condemnation. You know, it's not like being in a bad position with God. Sin is not like being in the doghouse, if you will. We're not in the doghouse. According to Ephesians, we're in the morgue. If you're in the doghouse, see, you might, you, might, you might whimper. You might say, I'm sorry, or have mercy. You might if you're in the doghouse, but when you're in the morgue, you can't say anything. You're dead. And when you're dead, you have no spiritual inclinations at all. You need a Savior to forgive you, but also you need a Savior to give you life. So we need a Savior. Number one, he was born. And why do we need him? Because we're all sick with sin unto death. Number two, because we are sabotaged by Satan. Notice in Ephesians, it says we once walked according to the prince of the power of the air or a ruler of the authority of the air. Listen, air is everywhere. Between heaven above and the earth beneath is the realm of air. And that's where man lives. Sometimes we say things like there's an excitement in the air or there's a sleepiness in the air. Whatever's in the air, what this means is Whatever's in the air is gripping everybody and it's influencing everyone. And this influence is widespread. 
Paul is saying in Ephesians that Satan's influence is so pervasive that it can be called the power of the air. The prince or the ruler of this world has sabotaged man with evil influence and activity, and it's pervasive. It's in the air. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Paul calls Satan the god of this world. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. And anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who hasn't received a child born on Christmas morn, is controlled by Satan. Notice the end of verse 2 says, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also lived before Christ. Number three, we need a savior because we are sentenced to judgment. So there's a ruler over the evil authority of the air, and that would be Satan. And he works in all those who are without the Savior. And until we're rescued by the Savior, we are by nature the children of wrath. Did you get that? We are by nature the children of the wrath of God, which means that we naturally do those things which God hates. By nature, we refused the gospel, and by nature... We were filled with desire that amounted to idolatry. We are all by nature the children of wrath. And because God is a righteous God, he must judge sin. Listen, God is a righteous God. But because God is a righteous God, and you can say a better amen than that. Say amen. Because God is a righteous God, he must judge sin. You've got to understand something. God's love And God's judgment or God's wrath go hand in hand. They both must co listen. They both must coexist in order for us to be able to say that God is a just God. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.